0: Hello and welcome to the Shiny Bees Podcast, a podcast for those who like their knitting, comedy and yarn in equally large measures. I'm your host Jo Millmine, and this is episode 160, Dorset Buttons with Tanya Ashton-Jones of TJ Frog. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 160 of the Shiny Bees Podcast. I am Jo, I'm your host, and today is the Tuesday, the 20th of October. How are you? I hope you've been well since last time I spoke to you. And as usual, a warm welcome to returning listeners. And if you're a new listener today, thank you for giving us a shot. I hope you will enjoy hanging out with us and having a listen to today's episode. And I am very excited about today's episode because I'm joined by a guest in the first time for a little while. And that guest is the awesome Tanya Ashton-Jones of TJ Frog. She's based up in Skye in the northwest of Scotland and she is... An expert, basically, on all things Dorset buttons. You've probably seen her around at shows if you've been around the shows in the UK. Uh, she's been trading for uh, a good few years now, as you'll find out when we get into the episode. And I really enjoy Tanya's attitude towards her business and keeping kind of heritage crafts alive and also looking kind of just beyond the craft and the making into the history of some of the things that she makes that she teaches people to make and it's a super interesting conversation she also has a range of yarns as well that again tell a story and you know how much I love a story basically and Tanya is a lot of fun as well so I was really really pleased to get Tanya onto the show and to have her here with you so I won't bang on too much because you came to listen to Tanya as well so grab your brew grab your knitting and we will crack on with the show So, I'm super excited today to be welcoming my dear friend Tanya Ashton Jones of TJ Frog onto the show. How are you, Tanya? I'm great. Thank you, Jay. Awesome. I'm really excited to have you with us again. I we recorded this interview, or not this very interview, but an interview a while back and I completely lost the interview. So <laughs> I'm really pleased that you've agreed to come back on and do an up-to-date st- interview because I know you've been doing lots and lots of interesting stuff since the last time that we chatted. Um, I long, We've known each other quite a long time now, haven't we? Yes, I'm trying to think how long it would be. Um, I think it's about five, six years. years. Yeah, yeah. I definitely lived in Elgin we met in Inverness at Eden Court when oh, there was a yarn show, show yeah. there. yes you're right I remember I was uh, by that beautiful stained glass window yes you were you were and obviously the chat was brilliant but I was probably properly sorry mesmerized by that stained glass window it's a beautiful venue and Inverness is a great city so it was cool to have a yarn show there for sure yeah I completely forgotten about that yeah that's yeah, yeah. time flies <laughs> it does it does and i've still got the decoration as well that i bought from you <laughs> right, the dorset button decoration it goes on my tree every year anyway <laughs> concentrate joe you can tell it's early in the morning i'm trying to give up caffeine <laughs> so for those people who aren't as fortunate as me to have known you for six years can you please tell us a little bit about you and what you do okay
1: okay Well, TJ Frog is the name of my business and TJ is Tanya Jane and the frog is uh, a nod to my lifelong love of frogs, both the the real thing and uh, ornamental frogs as well. And I got back into knitting back in 2008 when I was due to leave the Royal Navy after 22 years. And I can't even think what sparked me off to think about knitting because I hadn't knitted for quite a few years I'd I'd learned as a child my Nana taught me to knit and I'd done some knitting as one of my um, Duke of Edinburgh um, awards and in my kind of 20s and 30s I'd sort of shifted over to doing a lot of cross stitch So, yeah, I can't remember what sparked the the knitting, but I thought I really want to take up some crafts again when when I leave the Navy and I want to get back into knitting. So I went on this knitting retreat in France, which was um, tutored by Jane Crawford and Debbie Abrahams. And the first night there, I was totally overwhelmed there was people using words like intarsia and colour work and fair isle and ravelry. And I just didn't have a clue what they were talking about. And uh, when we did the introductions, I sat there and went, my name's Tanya and I can knit one and pearl one. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, what's going on? And it was just a week where I was that sponge soaking up everything to do with knitting and hearing all about, that world of knitting out there that I just didn't have a clue about that was going on. And that just sparked this massive interest. And I spoke to a couple of people who were doing blogs and were self-employed with work around knitting. And I'd already made the decision that I was going to go self-employed when I left the Navy, because I had kind of had all that lifetime of, um, what's the word, kind of discipline and um structure and hierarchical organization. I decided I wanted the complete opposite. I wanted to go self-employed. I didn't want to be in a disciplined organization or have structure to my day. Uh, so I had this self-employed idea that I was going to carry on doing business training, which I, I did in the Navy. But I also had this idea perhaps I could do a kind of craft business and and it was thinking about how I could improve my knitting skills and do something there. Um, But in the meantime, I got involved in a knitting group when I was still living down on the south of England. And one of the ladies, Norma, invited her friend along, Maureen, to teach us Dorset Buttons. And I just got hooked. And that kind of was the start of my my business, my TJ Frog Dorset business business sorry, TJ Frog, Dorset Button business. The the business is really rooted in the whole of that heritage craft. And I think what disappointed me was that I was actually brought up in Dorset and I never learnt about Dorset Buttons whilst I was at school. So I went off to the Dorset History Museum and tried to read up all about them. And yeah, just, just really, really got hooked in it. And so I started off on this journey of self employment as a business trainer. And in the sort of background, I started teaching Dorset Buttons at a local craft center and doing some commissions. And then in 2014, we moved up to Sky. And I was doing less and less of my business training on the road and started to think a little bit more about what I could do around the Dorset Button business. And then I saw an advert. And it was for a show, and the deadline for the applications was two days away. And I applied, and I got a place, and it was Edinburgh Yarn Festival in 2015. And that really was the start of it all. Um, And as they say, the rest is history.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) It's so funny, isn't it? Because obviously, like... I didn't do twenty years but I was in the Air Force as well so we always had that kind of thing in common and it's quite funny how many people do decide like I'm just I'm just gonna do whatever I want for a change. (laughs) Do the complete opposite. (laughs) don't want any SOPs, I don't want to wear a uniform (laughs) like I don't want a boss, I'm "I'm just gonna do what I want to do. Exactly. And then and then you find that you end up kind of creating these all these little structures around you so that You still have that, but it's just you that's in charge instead.
1: Yes. And I think like me, you found that those skills that you gained in the military are so transferable and and you're using those in all your aspects of your self-employment work now.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Obviously, you went from that self-employed to the Dorset buttons and you are from Dorset originally, aren't you?
1: Yes, yeah. Yeah, and I think, as I say, that, that was sad for me that I didn't learn about it at school. But my understanding now is that there are some schools that do teach it and some mm-hmm. people are learning it in the, the brownies and guides and, and ranges. Uh, uh, and yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot more um, knowledge out there now about the Dorset Buttons and a lot more people doing it as well, So, uh, which is great to see.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's always good to have like a heritage craft and particularly one that's got a very geographical aspect to it and a lot of history be carried on and become more popular again. Yes. Um, for people who are not that familiar with like Dorset Buttons and the history of that, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I'm sure um, a lot of the listeners will be really interested to hear that. Yeah,
1: certainly. So the Dorset Button, as you say, it's classed as a heritage craft now and it dates back to the early 1600s and basically it's thought that there was there was this guy called Abraham Case who had uh, been over on the continent and he'd seen some of the um, people, some of the, the soldiers wearing cloth buttons on their, their uniforms and he'd come back And settled in Dorset where there was this abundance of sheep (laughs) and set about um, building up this business so the original Dorset button was a slice of sheep's horn and if you imagine um, about the size of a sequin and that would form the base of the the button and then they would have um cloth linen fabric and they would use linen thread and they would build up the the button so the very first buttons were called um, high tops and they used this um, embroidered like blanket stitch would go around the the linen thread and then there was various um, different versions of this we had uh, one that was then called the dorset knob and there's actually dorset knob biscuits in the shape of the dorset knob Um, buttons which you can still still buy today yeah there's the Dorset Knob factory in Dorset and then eventually they moved over to using um, wire and they would solder together wire to make rings and Mm -hmm. they moved over to using the linen fabric on the the rings so a little bit like we we know the the buttons today that are made by the machines the kind of pressed fabric ones um so they looked a bit similar to that except for they were really very tiny and had these beautiful little stitches that went around the inside of the ring and lovely little french knots on top and then they moved over to just using the linen thread but some of these buttons I mean they are minute they they are kind of like about you know four millimeters in size they, they really are very very small and some of them were used on children's clothing um on night shirts on dresses on waistcoats and very much uh, a lot were used for well the best quality were used for gentry and royalty and a lot were mm-hmm. exported uh, and the people used to it was predominantly women and children who made them and they would make them and then they would walk to wherever the depot was and deliver what they had made and then they would get more materials back in exchange and go back again and uh, you know that that was their their routine but of course in 1851 the electronic button making machine made its first appearance uh, at the great exhibition at Crystal Palace and then later on with the First World War you know gradually there was this sort of overall decline in the need for handmade buttons, um, and then obviously with the men going away to war and women's jobs being um, distributed differently, there was just this decline
0: in in that uh, handmade button industry. Fascinating listening to all of the history of it, and oh, you can see that you've, or rather, hear that you've researched it, and you you know you're genuinely interested in how the manufacture of these goods kind of progressed from the the beginning and where they came from to what led to the decline and I was talking a couple of episodes ago about um different buttons and wartime fashion and how the fashions changed according to what materials were available and it went from being like 10 buttons on a cardigan to three and being made out of plastic rather than metal because the metal was needed for the aircraft and and all of that that kind of stuff it's really interesting to hear how kind of socioeconomic factors and political factors play into what we make and what we wear and, you know, how that can increase an industry or lead to it declining. So it's really interesting to hear about it
1: definitely yeah and I think it's it's great that there's just been this massive revival of it as well certainly in the time that I've been doing it it's become more popular and that's always been one of my big aims is just to kind of spread the word so that we don't lose the the knowledge of this um, particular heritage craft because you can take the basic techniques that were used all those years ago and now make really beautiful functional and decorative buttons for your own handmade projects or to you know revitalize perhaps a a shop bought piece that you know the buttons are looking a bit worn or you want to just jazz it up a bit so I think they're so versatile there's so much you can do with them and that's what I love so much there's there's just yeah a lot you can do and it really does give you that sort of creative license to just play with them really
0: absolutely and they are so so pretty to look at like so intricate and the beads I mean I love you know I love a bead oh, I love yes. a bead <laughs> they're just lovely to look at and you also teach classes on this and I know you've got some kids because I've actually done your snowman one yeah I, I had a snowman Christmas decoration that I did with the beast she helped me to do it that's right <laughs> yeah so it's there's just loads of different ways you can use them and and it's nice when we, we talk about the yarn a lot and we talk about the patterns a lot but the buttons are like make or break for a, a project i think and they can really add to a finished object and help you to make it your own when it's you know say it's a popular pattern like your lush or whatever just having those buttons makes it look different
1: totally i mean i had a cardigan that i knitted well, it, I think it was the first thing I, I knitted after I did that that retreat in, in France. And uh, it just sat there for ages gathering dust because I couldn't, it was a, a variegated yarn and I just couldn't find the right buttons. And I think a lot of us are guilty of that where we knit this beautiful piece and then it just sits waiting for us to find the button. And after I'd started to to learn how to make dorset buttons, I was like, ah, oh, I can make the buttons, and and actually, this cardigan has got thirteen little buttons on it, and I absolutely love it. And and I just think, yes, you know, you always have yarn left over from a project, don't you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, there's always scraps of yarn that you can use to make a button. You, you don't need very much yarn to um, produce that little thing of beauty to to add to your project.
0: For sure, and it's a good way of using up your scraps as well, and getting your full. You know the full amount of you know whatever yarn you've bought especially if it's a hand dyed or it's a luxury blend you're like you sit there thinking I'm not done I'm going to use this for but it's worth about a fiver you know what I mean? just <laughs> sat there Um, it's a good way to kind of you know it's going to match put it one way exactly <laughs>
1: or even you know you might have a, a real contrasting thing from another project that just you know lifts it so yeah it's You can you can make them even with other bits of yarn that you've got left over to uh, to to do a contrasting theme
0: as well if you want to. Absolutely. And so we know you do your Dorset buttons and clearly very knowledgeable about that. But you've also branched into producing your own yarns as well. So can you yeah. tell us a little bit about that and how you came to the idea of doing that? What inspired it and what sort of things you've learned as a result of doing that? <laughs> yes,
1: a very steep Sorry, question. <laughs> <laughs> In more ways than one. I think, you know, my sort of going back to the beginning of the story, my original thing was always that the, the business was going to be around knitting. And of course, the dorset buttons came along and I kind of felt that I got my skill set around that quite quickly and I could work on that quite quickly, but I still needed to build up my skill set on knitting skills and information and knowledge and yarns and wools and that would take longer. So I think what I set out with the Dorset buttons, there was always this thing that I wanted still to do my initial idea with, with yarn and wool and and patterns and design. And you know, I'm still working towards that goal. So Yes the idea came that my business is very much rooted in Dorset Buttons and I therefore wanted to think about the Dorset um walls so I set about exploring about those but I also wanted to incorporate the fact that you know I now live on the Isle of Skye which is another very special place and Skye and Dorset both have fantastic rich geological features you know they're they're both um coastal they've both got jurassic coastline and that's something that's always really interested me as well because i I studied geology um some time back with the open university so you know that was a special link for me as well and just thinking about the the sheep in both places that have shaped the land over time so i think that was the idea that was growing inside me that i wanted to bring sky and dorset together and how could i do it and the challenge actually came to me from a, a friend um Caroline she loved what I was doing with the Dorset buttons and and she was the one who initially sparked that challenge how can you bring Dorset and Sky how can you link the two um and that really sowed the seed for for the wool um that I've now got from Dorset um so I for the first time this year I've I've finally got all the dorset reeds in my stock so I initially started out with um pole dorset from a farm in dorset and hebridean from a croft on sky um and that was my very first um wool that I had produced and as I say that was the one that um Caroline really did um you know spark the the idea for bringing that one together and I've had that one produced each year now still from the same farm in Dorset and still from the same Croftodd Sky so that's very special to me the other yarns then I've got the the Dorset Down um, and then I've got the Dorset Horn and this year for the first time I've got Portland which is fantastic because both the well the Portland the Down and the Horn are all classed as rare breeds so three of the four Dorset breeds are, are rare um yeah so I'm really really um happy to have those and then the other latest one to my collection is Cheviot and that's literally from a crofter in my little community and and the community I live in there's only about 40 houses there's nothing else here it's crofting land all around and these sheep literally sit in the field across the road from my driveway which um that's really special to have that small batch uh, spun up this year. I think though the the biggest challenge for me was learning about fleeces, and I'm yeah, <laughs> I probably have still very very little knowledge on this, and I'm still really really learning um, how to skirt a fleece, um, which bits of the fleece work and don't work, and you know learning all about woolen spun and worsted spun and working with the different mills uh, yeah it, it's it's been definitely a, a steep learning curve and i've still got lots more to learn i all my initial yarns were woollen sorry were worsted spun but i've just had my latest batch of dorset have all been woollen spun and they literally arrived yesterday i had eight sacks kilos and kilos and kilos of uh, yarn arrived yesterday um when I was out so my very special TJ Frog staff aka hubby sorted all that out for me mm-hmm. um, and I haven't actually opened it up yet because I, I was out most of the day yesterday and just got in and so um, yeah I'm looking forward to diving into that later to to have a look at, at that so yeah it's, it's been fascinating to do this and I've currently got somebody designing um pattern for me which is very exciting mm-hmm. i've seen the first um photo the first sort of swatch so that's really the the kind of next stage in in this um business progression really is is the patterns for the wall with the buttons um incorporated into some of those patterns um yeah, so getting there slowly, like like all things, it always takes longer than you imagine. <laughs> and I think that's been the thing with the the lead-in time for the getting the wool produced, you know, it's become, as we know, far more I don't know, I don't know whether popular is the right word, but there's a lot more people now who have realized the importance of, you know, paying the farmer and the crofter a good um wage for the work that they put into raising and and looking after the the animals and people now are wanting that sustainable product they're interested in the provenance you know which farm has it come from Um, and, and so there's a lot more people doing that so I think the mills have just you know had this great influx of people wanting to produce their own yarns now um so yeah the lead times are massive to get uh, your your yarns produced so it, there's a lot of thinking ahead kind of a year 18 months two years down the line to make sure that you keep that flow of yarn coming through the the system
0: there's definitely a lot more people producing Rare breed yarns and producing yarns with a decent provenance that you know where it's come from, which is obviously fantastic, especially for the knitter. I don't know how you kind of. I, I would have to do this. I'm a bit childish, but I would be like, right, I'm going to get that cheviot and I'm going to knit a jumper and then I'm going to go to the end of the dr- drive and wiggle my jumper at the sheep. Like, thanks, boys. <laughs> like, loving it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can just imagine that for some reason. I might do it actually. I might just knit one and then then come to your house and come see the sheep. <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, there's, there's definitely a photo shoot to be had with the, a knitted garment with the
0: sheep. <laughs> God, I love it. I love it. No, it's it's um you can see like everything that you've done with your business and everything that you talk about as I listen to you like tell the stories behind all of this stuff and you know like we love stories and love to hear about where things come from and it just shines through how enthusiastic you are about the stories and about preserving things but also about making something that's like pretty and usable and enjoyable for people now and to help them learn as well it's not just a kind of consume thing it's like what, you know, what can we learn about the geology? What can we learn about the history? What can we learn about the different breeds? It's just just very nice to have that whole background story to it as well, I think.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think it's it's trying for me all the time to just think how I can keep building that and sort of pushing the boundaries, but always still linking it back to Dorset, the place, the history, and also, as I say, to where, where I live now and how I can incorporate that in, and I think that was another another factor when I thought about the the projects and sort of needle bags and notion bags that I do because I wanted to have something that represented the fabric of the time and the, the linen fabric was what was used in the original Dorset buttons, mm-hmm. and that's the fabric that makes up my project bags so all of those project bags I make all the buttons myself and then either myself or my dj Fox staff photograph them and then that gets printed onto linen and yeah and gets made into project bags for me by a social enterprise um Colopsia in edinburgh
0: see it's super cool like I totally like tangent tangent warning (laughs) (laughs) I went went shopping in the Trafford Centre yesterday and like they had some nice stuff in but every time you you pick up you're like oh that's nice oh it's actually made out of wool oh it's made in China Mm. oh it's made in China and I refuse to buy anything made in China so you just don't get that. And then you hear like you're doing this work where it's like, and this is the story, and that person does this, and that benefits them, and that creates opportunity here, and that you know gives the farmer a fair wage. And, and at the end of it, you've got something beautiful that people want as well. I just think it's really important. And I just wish it was easier to find people who were who were doing that this kind of of really creative but very positive and you know, good and happy feeling work. So you could just go and spend all your money with them in one place.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, the difficulty is it does take time to build up and to Mm. to find people to support you and to, you know, to just seek out all the resources to put your ideas together as well. I mean, I, me and sewing machines are not very compatible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, And so I always thought that I would have to get somebody else to, to make the project bags for me although you know I still aspire maybe one day I might I might get more friendly with a sewing machine and again it was just then important that you know how do I get somebody to do that who do I get and I was very fortunate to find Colopsia in the the early years of their um production and so yeah they've I've been working with them for quite some time now and at the time the fabric was printed by a lovely company called Be Fab, Be Creative, also in Edinburgh. Sadly, they closed down um, earlier this year, actually, mm. not as a result of the pandemic, but just before the pandemic. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's lovely, again, to support other independent businesses within my business, really.
0: Absolutely. So you've talked obviously quite a lot about Dorset and you've talked about Sky, And how your products tie those two places together and and a lot of the stories behind that but it's very clear that you you're also very passionate about supporting other businesses and and kind of how that you know links into your story as well but you have a podcast Tanya about (laughs) Sky and we like podcasts because this is a podcast so tell us a bit about your podcast and why you started it and what it's about and yeah yeah
1: um, <laughs> well it was really listening to people like yourself and Louise um'll we'll, we'll, we'll work Louise we'll and work, yeah. Louise um Caithness craft collective it just started to think maybe I could do this and I think I was linking back again to those skills of being a trainer and used mm-hmm. to just talking and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and and I thought, have a let's have a go at this. I, I wasn't really feeling that I wanted to do a video type thing. Mm-hmm. And so the audio really appealed to me. And one day I just looked online and thought, wow, what's what's the best thing I can do? How how do I go about doing this? And I found that there was already free software on my Apple Mac laptop. And mm-hmm. I think I read somewhere that, you know, if you're going to spend any money then try and get the best microphone that you can afford and and that was all I spent the money on and then I came up with this little format which has pretty much followed yeah it's been been the same since I started it probably is at a stage where it needs a a little refresh (laughs) and uh, yeah so I fundamentally talk about a handful of things and The first up is the weather. (laughs) (laughs) Love talking about the weather. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, I just, since I've moved to Sky, yeah, I've become more and more fascinated with it. I I always say, um, you know, I live in and around the sky as well as on Sky because it just seems so vast here. And where I live, you can see the horizon. And it's just made me. So Feel so much more connected to the weather in all aspects, and the weather changes frequently here. And yeah, I just am fascinated by it and can just sit and watch it all day. So, I, I very much wanted to just talk about the weather. And, and I know, you know, there are parts of the world that have very extreme weathers, very extreme, you know, so that's not something we necessarily have here. But I just wanted to bring a little bit of what happens on sky and put that out there and and so yeah I talk about the let the weather and and really a lot of other things have started to creep into that so talking about the fauna and flora that we get around here and the changing seasons because again I'm very much more attuned to that here you know seeing when the bluebells come out and the gorse and the foxgloves and the the bracken which if anybody does listen in they'll know about my um love Relationship with bracken, and and I'm just, yeah, so much more in tune with those things. So, I wanted to talk about that. I talk about what I'm making, so you know, what's on my needles and anything generally about my knitting and creativity. Talk about my Dorset buttons, so really what's happening in the business there. And then I have two little other bits on Sky. I have something called the local lowdown, which tends to just be a little snippet about something on sky and it can be anything from the co-op being renovated to <laughs> Love <the> um,
0: co-op. <laughs>
1: <laughs> to a new gin that's uh, just been produced and uh, everyone who listens in will know that i'm a bit of a gin lover as well mm-hmm. so you know that that's which uh, yes <laughs> joe <laughs> 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 um yeah so that's um just a little snippet because I, you know, I do get a lot of listeners who actually have either been to sky or they want to visit sky one day. So they, you know, I get feedback that they like hearing those little snippets. And then the last part is like yourself. um I do interviews with people on sky uh, and I call that the sky showcase. And I tend to visit people at their homes or their studios or galleries. Um, predominantly people working in textiles, but I, you know, occasionally speak to other um creative people. And then from time to time, when I've been away, maybe doing a, a retreat or something, uh I will do an interview with somebody. So I call that across the bridge because that's me having sort of uh, gone gone across the bridge onto the mainland. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I love the podcast. I love doing it it's um yeah and I'm always amazed when I'm at yarn festivals the people who come up to me and say I listen to your podcast and it just always seems very strange to me that people do actually listen to me <laughs> <laughs> <on about. laughs> <Goodness> knows <what. laughs>
0: no but it, it is one of those things that it's quite often one of the distinguishing features of a podcast is is commentary about where you are and like you said we're always banging on about the weather as brits like it is hoofing down here we there's the first thing we spoke about when we got on on zoom was that it was it was dreadfully gray up north what a shocker (laughs) and and dark and and it 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 is almost a way of armchair traveling with people like i love hearing about people's travels on podcasts and where they've been so and i have been to skype but it's nice to be able to enjoy a bit more of the the local aspects of things via a podcast it's really cool
1: yes no I I love it it's uh yeah it's opened up lots of avenues and doors for me and I and I've met some great interesting people as well through through doing the the interviews and uh, it just keeps me on my toes to think about what's happening on the island as well and It also is a little bit of uh, accountability for my making (laughs) or not as the case may be.
0: (laughs) Oh gosh. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So if people want to come and find out some more about you and find your Dorset buttons and find the podcast and the yarn and everything else, TJ, where's the best place to come and look for you?
1: Okay. I have a website, which is tjfrog.co.uk. And then I'm on Instagram and Facebook as TJ Frog Sky. And I'm on Twitter as TJ Frog Makes. And yeah, that's where you can uh,
0: catch up with me. Brilliant. So I'll put links to all of that in the show notes for this episode. So people can come and click through to that as well to find it quite easily. And you also have a gift for the listeners of the podcast. Oh yes (laughs) for the listeners of the podcast
1: then up until the 10th of November there is a 10% discount on offer across all my products on the website so all the Dorset Button kits the the yarn, um, the the bags we mentioned, and there's also some new postcards and coloring cards we didn't mention. But yeah, there's there's lots of things on there that uh, might appeal to you. So the code to put in, all in capitals, is ShinyBees10.
0: Awesome! Thank you very much. That is extremely kind of you, and we can all make archivia jumpers now, and then come yeah. see come visit the the sheep at your house <laughs> with the gin. <laughs> brilliant well thank you so so much for your time and for sharing all of your stories and all of the history of the dorset buttons with us it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show thank you so much joe it's it's
1: yeah it's been lovely i've really enjoyed talking about it and uh, yeah you've got me all uh and geared up for the rest of the day to get back to work
0: <laughs> i literally don't know how you've not opened that bag and taken a massive sniff of that yarn <laughs> So there we go. Did you enjoy that chat with Tanya? She's an absolute flipping superstar and lots and lots of fun. And I do definitely recommend if you haven't listened to her podcast that you head over there and have a shufti and get to meet some of the local businesses over on Sky and hang out with Tanya a bit. She's really good fun and definitely head over to her website and take advantage of that uh, cheeky, we discount. We had some of the, I mentioned it earlier in the episode, but we had a couple of kits for the Dorset Button Snowmen that I did with the bees last year. And she absolutely loved it. The instructions are easy enough that a kid can follow them. And it's not so fiddly that a kiddie can't do them. She was eight at that point. So she's fairly crafty, but she, you know, it was definitely possible for her. And certainly with a little bit of grown up help, uh, definitely possible to do. It's half term next week. You're going to need something to do. We're all locked up again. Well, we're locked up on tier tier three in Lancashire, loving life. So definitely head over there and take a look. And a huge, huge thank you to my lovely pal Tanya for spending the time with us. So that's all we've got time for this week. I hope you have enjoyed hanging out with us. Do head over to the show notes where you can find links to everything in this episode. It's shinybees.com forward slash 160. And don't forget, we will be chatting all about this episode over in the Shiny Bees podcast community. It's free to join and you can find that at shinybees.com forward slash community. So have a lovely week. Happy crafting. And I will speak to you all again soon. Cheers. been listening to the shiny bees podcast if you've enjoyed today's episode i would love it if you would head over to your podcatcher of choice and leave a review for the podcast you, if that's all right. i feel a need to laugh again with you if that's all right
1: i need a drink i need a friend
0: i need your help